Okay, so he wanted to, he wanted you to go to the zoo today, right? And interview the monkeys. Does he listen to the podcast? No, but I told him our podcast is often like a zoo. <laughs> and then he did make landed monkey jokes. <laughs> if all- you have any poo, <laughs> fling it now. <laughs> Presbyterians, welcome to another romp through Presbyterian fun. This is the SomaCast, the weekly podcast of the Synod of Mid-America. I am, of course, Landon Witsit, your executive and stated clerk and host uh, for uh, for this uh, for this podcast. And with me, as always, is the wonderful, the lovely. I guess I called you lovely. Do you like being called lovely? Not by you, sir. Okay, this is the wonderful and lovely <laughs> James Gale, our director of operations. Say hello, James. Hello, James. There we go. Uh, today we want to talk about being new to ministry. Do you uh, do you remember how terrified you were, or were you terrified when you first started being a pastor? I was I was terrified. I think the first time I stood in the pulpit to preach in front of my first congregation, I almost threw up. Really? Yeah. For me, it, it was a lot like I grew up as an actor, and so for me, it was a lot like when they would call places. I was never nervous until they called places, and that two minutes between calling places and the lights coming up, I, I yeah, I thought I was going to throw up every every single time. What do you think produces that? Why do you think we get that way? Well, you spend two, three, four years, depending on what you're doing in your MDiv program, learning all this, but until you stand up there and do it and go through it, it's a totally different world. You're looking out over that congregation thinking about all those people about how you've been given this awesome task of, of being a partner in their spiritual and personal lives. And I think if you take that seriously, you can't help but be a little bit nervous about this awesome and wonderful responsibility and then start wondering, I've never done this before. Am I going to do it right? What do I do? There isn't really a handbook, you know, page three on the Calvin handbook of how to deal with Um, you know, so a lot of it is just, you're out there kind of making it up and learning as you go along. And that's kind of scary for people. Yeah. Because there's, there's this fine line between, uh, we would never call ourselves experts. I mean, there are things that we ostensibly know more than the average person on the pew. I mean, that's why we went to seminary, but we're, we're not the local, you know, like in, in my, in my book, I call it the local resident church expert. That's not us. But at the same time, there's an extra measure of responsibility that, that pastory types have, that the uh, that 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 the that the typical congregation member just doesn't have. That's a hard line to walk, I think. Well, well, this is a podcast for another day. But essentially, you know, there's that mindset of you're the professional. We pay you to do this. This oh. is what you're supposed to know how to do. Sort of like when you go to an accountant, we we pay them because we assume they know how to do math. Um, and it does it doesn't always work out that the person that we've hired to do something knows everything we expect them to know. Um, And if you were to interview a congregation and get the list of everything they expect their pastor to know, I'm not sure we could find many people that could check off all 150, 200 items of that. But as I said, that's a discussion for another day. But it does kind of sum up that pressure of, you know, hey, guy or gal, we brought you in here and you're supposed to be the church person. You know, go do it. Right, which results in that oft-quoted phrase that pastor types often say, I did not learn that in seminary. That that is not something that I learned in seminary. I've had people say that they wish that they had plumbing classes in seminary. 
Now, you're nodding your head, but I think that is absolutely ridiculous. I do not want a plumbing class as a part of seminary. I did not go to seminary to do that. I, I, I would rather celebrate the people who actually know how to do that rather than learn that myself. But you're nodding your head. Why do you agree with that? Well, um, in all fairness, my good friend, uh, you've never served a small church. Oh, I have two. No, I'm talking like 25. Okay, yeah, I've not served that, that size of a church. Um, where you're the custodian, the plumber, the gardener. The electrician and, and I'm and I'm nodding my head because in my first call, I mean, I was everything from sextant to groundskeeper. But but is that part and parcel of being the pastor, or was that is that just part of serving a small church that as a, as a good member of that community, and you got the time, that's what you should do. Do you really think you should have learned that in seminary? Not in seminary. Okay. But even if you don't know it, it'll you know work. me. I like splitting hairs. Oh, you're absolutely. And, and if you had some, it would be funny. <laughs> I've got a lot of hairs. They're mostly gray, that's, and that's okay. That's true. And that's, Proverbs says it's a crown of wisdom okay. is what it is. Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> anyway, but the point I was making is I think even in a larger church, there's that burden of if, if you don't know how to do it, you're supposed to know who does it. So, mm. you know, your pastor, Landon, you better know the Roto-Rooter guy. Your pastor, Landon, they call you, there's roaches, and you're like, well, I don't know anything about that. Then they expect you to know who to call. So no matter what scale, I think all church folks have at some level that burden of, of expertise that goes well beyond what we thought we were getting into right. when we were in seminary. Um, what did you think you were getting into? I can. I mean, because you, you you are one more more than I so right uh, more more than I am. You're willing to accept that 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 broader role of being the custodian. I'll I'll do it. I don't like it, but I'll do it. But still, it, it is different than what you expected. What did you think you were getting into? I can honestly say I went into it sort of open to without much expectation, um, and. I think it had a lot to do with how I ended up in my journey at Seminary, but I really went into it just sort of eyes wide open and just experiencing it because I had learned um, through some tough love, making plans doesn't always turn out. So really for me, seminary and being my personality type, ministry was the great unknown adventure. And and so um, for your personality type, that is not cool for mine. So um, I, I was just going to say, it just once again proves that you're a better human being than I am. No, I'm a P and you're a J. Oh, is that what it and is? We just that's why we're a good team. We should do that sometime. We should talk about personality types and how they approach ministry. Wouldn't that be fun? I think it would be fun. Tell me, you think it would be fun? James, I think it would if be. You want to come to work tomorrow? <laughs> It, it would be fun. It would be dangerous. <laughs> it would be. It would be dangerous. It would be so awesome. Um, but to bring this all back, what we were talking about, the expectation is, yeah, I think, you know, um, the great song, Life is a Carnival. Well, ministry is sort of that same way. Is you yeah. just never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and you either learn to live in it and adjust to it or it, it crushes you. Yeah, in, in all seriousness, one of the things that, that got the most response uh, from, I think it was our second SomaCast, the one where I played that conversation I had with Craig Palmer in Gettings Love Joy, the thing that people responded to most is when Craig kind of described the whole thing, and I said to him, that's incredibly messy. And everybody was like, yes, that totally encapsulates what we mean when we talk about the, the, the joy and the, the, the pain of ministry. This is a messy thing, and we just kind of got to muddle through it. I asked some folks on, on Facebook um, last week. Um, I said, what was your pastory types? What was your most humorous and depressing moment in ministry when you first started? The one that you look back on and think, why didn't somebody tell me? Do you, do you have one before I read off some of these uh, uh, examples from these unsuspecting Facebook friends of mine? Not one that I can think of off the top of my head that I'm willing to share with our audience at this moment. 
One of my favorite stories that I had is from a friend of mine. Uh, he, he pastors in Alabama, and he was working in a hospital. He was doing a, a chaplain residency in a hospital, and he ended up on the psychiatric ward one night. And there was this guy who was just going crazy. Uh, nobody could get him to calm down. And they're like, you know, chaplain, would you come in? And would you would you take care of this? And he's like, what do you expect me to do? And they're like, well, you know, you're you're the Jesus guy. I mean, it's kind of, you know, what we were talking about a little bit a while ago. And so he walks into this, I mean, a literally padded room, dude in the straitjacket. Guy is going nuts. And he goes, hey, hey, you better calm down or I'm going to sick Jesus on you. And the guy just like stops and goes, can you do that? He goes, you don't want to find out. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. You don't you don't learn that in seminary, right? I mean, that's not so, the only way that you learn something like that is by being in ministry and learning who people are and how you can how you can talk to them. What were what were some of your favorite ones on this Facebook uh, this Facebook thread that I started? My favorite one was just a simple one that's like um, just a line that didn't really have a story. Just I wish somebody had told me that. Yeah. Because that really resonated with me. I, there are lots of times in my ministry, and even even this morning. Uh, where people in my mind are saying, I wish somebody had told me that, or they never taught me that yeah. um, kinds of things. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's so many good ones. I think we had 30 or 40 different stories on there. Yeah, at that, at, by, by the time we record this, you know, we've got 30. I mean, some of the ones are the really, you know, the really good ones. You know, people opening up the, uh, taking off the, the, the cover on the communion wear and there's a hot dog bun. That happened to me so many times. One of the times, <laughs> I mean, you know, the folks that I was serving, they were, they were good and they were, you know, they were good stewards. They'd go and they'd get some bread. They'd throw it in the freezer. Oftentimes they would forget to get it out in time. So I've got a, literally a frozen hot dog bun that I'm trying to break. I don't know if Jesus wants his body to be a frozen hot dog bun, but you know, it works, right? What do we say? Ordinary things in extraordinary ways. Right, right. And I'm sitting there thinking it would be, if, I think when we talk about the body broken, that would definitely be an image trying to break a frozen. This is the hypothermic body. body of Christ broken for you. <laughs> so Landon, if, if we're sitting here sharing stories about things in ministry that we wish people had told us and things about wish that we had learned, what do we do about it? No, ladies and gentlemen, that was not a plant from the audience. That's no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation is we have got, uh, you know, on the day that this podcast goes up, we will be starting the third cohort of our program gathering for pastoral sustenance. Now the Senate has had a, a, a new pastors program, a new ministering program for, for years. In fact, I talked to somebody uh, the other day who was a part of the previous incarnation of this. I think it was called pastoral experiences in transitional ministry. Um, and, and it got renamed the, the, the interim executive kind of revamped this program while she was here. And so we're now on our third iteration of gathering for pastoral sustenance. Um, the, the program, you know, in brief is, you know, five sessions over two years, uh, get folks together from across the region, pull them in. Um, th that's, that's my answer to your question. That's what we do about this. Um, because there are so many things. I, I think you're right to continually come back to this, this idea of, I wish somebody had told me, I wish somebody had said, you need to know this when you get in, um, because there are just things that we don't learn in seminary. I happen to be okay with that. Um, you know, let's have that conversation real, real quickly. I don't, I don't know if you're okay with it, but I'm okay with that. I often tell people we've got to stop blaming our seminaries for the fact that our 
quote, pastors don't know how to be pastors. We've got to stop that because seminaries have one job and one job only, and I think they do it well. And our seminaries, their job is to churn out world-class theologians. Now, we'll let the people in the pews dis- discern whether or not those people, <laughs> whether or not we actually are world-class theologians. But, I mean, when you think about some of the folks that we get to study with, right? You, you went to Columbia Seminary. Right. Uh, I went to Louisville Seminary. We've got friends from, you know, all the seminaries, um, these are, these are some amazing scholars of the church, uh, disciples of Jesus Christ that we get to learn from uh, intently and intimately for, for, for three or four years. Um, we have been trained to think theologically, you know, in, in, in my terms, you know, like the, the theology as art. I mean, we, we've been trained to think well. So we, we've got that piece kind of covered. Um, but we never really learned how to be a pastor uh, until we until we step into the pulpit, we we never learn how to be a pastor among a people until we're actually among those people. So seminaries are doing their job, but there's got to be something on the on the other side of it. Um, you know, like like a, a postgraduate graduate degree, right? That that kind of learning, and I think that's where GPS really comes in. Is we want to help folks uh, in, endure in some cases and and thrive and succeed in 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 all cases. Um, those first few years of ministry, because they're they're rough, aren't they? Man, I remember nights of, um, well, the, this particular example didn't happen to me, but people will share, you know, staying up, you know, until two or three in the morning on Saturday night. The, the, the sermon's done, but they're just nervous about walking into the pulpit. I haven't been trained as an actor, so that's that's not the piece that worried me. The piece that worried me was thinking about going on pastoral care calls, right? Visiting the hospital. That was probably not your problem, was it? Oh, <laughs> No. Extrovert. Yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, no, but, but that's a wonderful thing that, you know, seminary gives you all this beautiful education. Yeah. But I really think that one of the great things that we forget in the church is, is that you learn ministry by doing ministry. You Jesus' ministry, disciples yes. did not read a handbook. Did no. not go to class. They learn ministry by going out and doing it. And the thing that I think GPS's great gift is, is GPS allows you a place to share these stories mm-hmm. where you're safe. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was a young, uh, first out of school in my first pastor, I was afraid to admit I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't want folks to think I wasn't good at my job. Exactly. I was afraid to make a mistake because I thought, I went to school, I'm supposed to know how to do this. Right. And really, the gift I got from my mentor pastors um, was it's okay. Ministry is about doing something, reflecting on what went well, what didn't, theologically digesting it, and then going and doing it differently and betterly next time, and then doing the same thing. It is never a static process. Right. You know, we, we claim the mantra of formed and always being reformed, yet we want to stay in the same place. We talked about that on our last podcast about risk-taking and, and, and innovation. Well, I think in ministry, really, GPS is that community that you can go to and tell your peers, man, I totally screwed up my Saturday night special sermon. Or I went on this pastoral care visit and, and I peed my pants. How did you call it the Saturday night special? <laughs> yeah, yeah Land, Land, you're probably one of those people that always finished. Um, I, I, I have to have mine done by Friday night or I will spend all weekend obsessing about it. Oh, I have man. friends uh, who write theirs and write their best stuff at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. We call them Saturday night That's specials. My, my, my wife in the other room there is raising her hand to claim this. Yeah, they're fabulous sermons. It works for them. Does it work for me? No, like you, you, you named earlier, I'm a J. My days off were Friday and Saturday. It had to be done by COB on Thursday. But or it was over for me. Your pastoral care visits, you didn't like them. Oh, but, it's, but the only oh. way that you got even remotely functional, or I wouldn't say comfortable, was by repetition yeah. and sort of learning it. Well, thank God for the deacons in my church. I mean, seriously, in a very real way. 
because at least as Presbyterians, that, I mean, you know, Calvin called the deacons the faces of Christ. I mean, these are the folks that we say are charged with the care and compassion of a congregation, right? In a way that pastors are not. I know, I know the pastors are going to play a bit of that role, but but that's, I am so grateful for those at the congregation that I previously served. There were six of these folks. They taught me how to do pastoral care. You're right. I was never comfortable with it. Exactly. But and, they taught me how to do it. And there's an example of a, of a community and that said, Landon, you don't have to be the be-all authority on mm-hmm. pastoral care. You need to play a role. We need some guidance, but we're here to support you. Mm-hmm. I think that is exactly what GPS is, is taking newer teaching elders and telling them you don't have to be everything. Right. You're going to hear stories from your peers about where they and your gifts and skills, and you're going to learn you're not the only one out there sweating it out. You're yeah. not the only one there. And that sounds very simple, and we think, wow, that's, that's not very complex. But when you really sit down and hear that and experience that, you suddenly realize, wow. I mean, it's this wonderful spiritual gift of knowing I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to reflect on it theologically, we talk about we're always with the Spirit and we, go, and we know that. But, but I don't know if we really viscerally internalize it in the way that this community had. And I'm only saying this because I was part of one of these communities. Yeah, I'm so jealous of that. Um, that, that really taught me that I'm sitting in the room with seven other folks, men and women at various stages in ministry, hearing that, yeah, okay, yeah. And, and it's very affirming. Not that you rejoice at even shortcomings, but you, you look across the room and that person you thought that had it all perfect right. shares with you that they don't know what they're doing sometimes. Right. And it becomes this wonderfully safe space. Um, so, you know, the GPS program, Synonym in America, is saying exactly what we've been talking about. Let's create a community mm-hmm. in which these newer pastors can come hone their craft, Mm -hmm. hone their imagination, but feel safe enough to explore what it is to be in ministry and to explore places that they can grow and places, frankly, where they can fail. Yeah, I think it goes back to our mantra at the city here is is we want to empower people to fail boldly, get up and do it again. We believe that you want to do big and good ministry for the sake of Jesus Christ. We want to help you take the risks in order to do that. That's, yeah, that's exactly it. That's our fundamental belief. Um, This program was built off of uh, some research and some work that was done by the Lilly Foundation. Um, the, you know, there are, there are several different new pastors programs with nationally, regionally, and also locally with just some presbyteries um, that all kind of take their cue from what the Lilly Foundation um, said. So let's, uh, if, you, if, if we could, let's, let's take a look at some of those five pieces that Lilly said. Uh, how, how do they phrase it? These are, these are what are required in order for a person to, to have some success in ministry. To sus- No, not success. To have a sustainable ministry. That's a big difference, actually, now that I think about it. The difference between a successful ministry and a sustainable ministry. Have you ever thought about the difference between those things? Again, I think success tends to measure it in things about you need 100 people or certain dollars. Sustainable says, okay, so you didn't get to that goal, but you keep going and you have that energy to keep re- uh, refining, keep honing, and keep at it. Success tends to, I think, in my personal opinion, be one of those um, quantitative measures. And I think Lily's more of a qualitative measure. We're not as interested in how much you produce, but do what you produce, is it better? Yeah, because it's built for the long run. You know, I mean, when when the whole financial collapse was happening, uh, you know, that we're still recovering from, that happened three or four years ago, part of the thing was people were talking about, you know, you've got these CEOs who need to get results every single quarter. And so they couldn't look to the long term because they had to show results for every single quarter or they were fired. That, that's, I, that, that's what I'm thinking about when you're talking about And I think your definition is really, really helpful. 
your, your distinction there between success and sustainability, I think we should stop talking about successful ministry. I mean, as a whole, I mean, I think we should start talking about sustainable ministry and GPS is one of those things. It's the best thing I've ever seen. I, I will admit, I am so jealous <laughs> you know, you and I go around to presbyteries and we, and we promote this program and you can say, you know, you know, I, I'm not just the president, I've been a client, right? You know, the whole hair club for men thing. Right. I don't just support this program. I've, I'm a product of the program. It has been successful in my ministry. I don't have that. I don't have that sales pitch that you have. The only sales pitch I've got is this thing is so amazing that frankly, I'm angry that I didn't have it. I'm, I'm angry that I did not have this when I when I entered into ministry. So the the, the five pieces that Lily lays out, uh, and so let's let's run through these real briefly. The five pieces that Lily lays out are um, a supportive uh, spiritual community where you can have spiritual growth. How does GPS, you know, hey, Mister President and Client of GPS Hair Club for Men, how does how does GPS promote? Uh, you know, if you could sum it up succinctly, how do they how do they help? Uh, promote spiritual growth in these in these folks. Okay, well, the first thing I have to say is is thank you for the compliment for GPS. And then I would be remiss if I didn't interject here and say the reason our program is so successful is our staff. Oh, preach! Come on. Um, we have uh, Reverend Loretta Ross and um, teaching our ruling elder Sandy Carlson, who's our group facilitator, who make this happen. The, this program would not be this program if it were not. I mean. Right. So right there, um, the spiritual direction, the first group meeting, usually for a new cohort, they gather with uh, Reverend Marjorie Thompson, who's written several books, including Soul Feast, Soul Feast uh, Work for the Upper Room, mm-hmm. does a lot of retreats, the spiritual direction. And they begin the whole entire process of this g- group together, focused on your spiritual life, how well is your spiritual life formed, and how does your spiritual life and its formation impact your ability to share and grow the spiritual community you're in. Yeah. So from the very beginning, GPS is centered right there on it begins with we fill your well so that you can fill others. Yeah. And then, so that's the program component. Then um, if you've read our blog or checked out GPS, each one of our individual in our cohorts is uh, offered and required to participate in spiritual direction between sessions. So even if they're not doing it, we, we are challenging them to go with a with Loretta, our wonderful accredited spiritual director, to sit down and begin to explore their own spirituality mm-hmm. um, and, and where those growth areas are. So from the very beginning, GPS is built on that foundation that all the intellectual, all the pragmatic, all that is important, but it means nothing if the foundation isn't grounded in your relationship with Jesus Christ and other people. What a shocking notion. It's very, very theological. That, that we want our pastors to have a, a good and strong relationship with Jesus Christ. What a shocking notion, right? I, I know. Right? Oh, man. But, uh, but, I mean, but this is what we all say, right? I'm not, you know, pastor, tell me about your prayer life. If we're honest... A good majority of us will say, "I don't have, I don't well, have a sustainable prayer." When life. you're fixing plumbing and heating and, right. and thinking about the bulletin and all that, one of the things you learn is that's the first thing to go. I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. And and what I love about GPS, GPS holds you accountable. One of the things that happened with this, with our last cohort uh, that just wrapped up in what was that February, February. or March? Yeah, wrapped up in February uh, when we were with Marjorie. She highlighted. Uh, a verse from Psalm 127. Why do you eat the bread of anxious toil? The Lord gives rest to those that are loved. And that kind of became a recurring theme uh, for, for this cohort. And in fact, when at the very end, when we you know, each gave them a, a daily prayer book, that was, that, was the, that was the verse that we wrote in the front. Stop eating the bread of anxious toil because, yeah, there are going to be times where you've got to fix the plumbing, etc. But not everything's going to be a crisis like a, like a broken water pipe. 
And dad gummit, just like you just like you carve out time to to prepare for Bible study, to prepare for sermons, you have to carve out time. I mean, that's one of the great things I think about our our profession. It <laughs> we can justify carving out an hour or so a day for personal prayer and reflection. We can do that because that is that is who we are. If we're not doing it, how can we expect the per, the people that we serve to believe us when we say you need to be praying and reading the Bible if we're not doing that ourselves? Second component that Lily lists out is development of pastoral imagination. I have to be honest with you. This is the piece of it all. I love, you know, the work that St. Anne Loretta do, the the group work, the spiritual direction, the building of the community. Uh, spiritual development. I love all that stuff, but for me, and probably it's my personality type, this whole idea about pastoral imagination, this is the one that gets me really excited. Uh, when we had Eileen Campbell Reed come to the second cohort, um, and I got to learn what she was talking about, the, th- the, thing that, the thing that struck me, and it was one of those intuitive things, and you're like, that was worth the price of admission, was this very, li- very simple notion that she laid out that, that it's, it's, it's all a continuum. Um, you start out as a novice, you become experienced, then you become proficient, right? There's this continuum of how to do what you are doing. The only way you move from being a novice to experienced to proficient is by actually doing it. it. It's what you were talking about a while ago. You have to, frankly, you have to screw up. You're not going to get better until you do it wrong. That's why it's okay that, that you preach a really bad sermon because that is going to teach you. You were joking yesterday. That, oh, yes. About going back. And, <laughs> going back and read some sermons from my first. <laughs> and, and I'd like to apologize to my previous yes. church that, that, that they had to sit through that. Yeah, they were awful, weren't they? They were. Some of the stuff we did in early, they, it was awful. But you know what? The only way, and, and let's be frank, you know, we'll let people judge whether or not we are actually decent now. But the only reason we are even moderately better now than we were then is because we screwed up. We screwed up. And so this whole notion of pastoral imagination, do you, do you feel the same way about pastoral imagination as I do or you? I think imagine, I, mean, I know you like it, but... No, I, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I think the imagination part is it kind of builds off what I was talking about before. So, so now once you're centered in focus, why do you do ministry? What are you in it for? How, how do you do it differently? What juices you? What gets you going? Yeah. What's your field of dreams? If your imagination has no limits, then your congregation's imagination has no limits. Um, you know, what I love about the, the piece, that if you look at the Pastoral Imagination Project that she's involved with, it's basically just saying, how can we dream new and exciting and creative ways to do ministry? Yeah. And how do we empower people to think outside the box? Not in a way that's avant-garde for the sake of being different, but truly taking things and looking at them and saying, hmm, this is what we've always done. How can we build on that and make it even better or, or reimagine and repackaging it? I think that's awesome, and I, I think it goes back to our first part. I think that's the heart of the Pentecost yeah. message is, is that God is simply saying, I didn't give you a church to keep it the same way. I gave you a church that's living and breathing and dynamic, and being living and breathing and dynamic means being imaginative, being creative. And how many times do we think about pastors, not just you know those few like you know maybe you or the, the artist community, but pastors, every one of them, as creative well, or it's imaginative. It's, it's not a word you would think of when you think about Presbyterian pastor. But it, it's so frustrating because that is one of our ordination vows. Absolutely. Do you serve promise to serve the people with energy, intelligence, creativity. imagination, and love? Yeah, and I had a creativity. Yeah. And, and that's my favorite one. Yeah. And it's not a multiple choice question. No, it's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because and one of the things that it took me a long time to realize is that I am responsible for developing my pastoral imagination because I'm a pastor. 
And I used to get frustrated because other people wouldn't think the way that I would until I realized they're supposed to have a gardener's imagination, a plumber's imagination, a teacher's imagination. Those are, in some ways, they're connected, but their field that God has called them to requires a different kind of imagination than mine. I, 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 it took me a long time to realize that just because somebody shows up at church, sits in a pew, requests membership, participates in the life of the church, doesn't mean they want to be a pastor. Doesn't mean they want to do right do ministry the way that I want to do ministry right things but, that you wish someone had told you think yes exactly I wish somebody had told me the people who show up in your congregation the people that you're called to serve they don't want to be pastors they want to be good disciples at least we hope so but they don't want to be pastors they they don't necessarily want to be there every time the doors are open like you do that's how I first knew that I was called to ministry is that I wanted to be in the church every single time the doors open all right let's move on creative community this is the one when I hear you. And your alum colleagues, uh, alum colleagues of, of the GPS program, when I hear you all talk about GPS, you love all this other stuff. This is the thing that you always come back. You lead with this. You end with this. Creative community. Absolutely. Um, I'm try- I've been trying to think of ways to share it, but if, if any of you have ever watched uh, the HBO series, they did uh, The Pacific, and before that they did Band the, of Brothers. the Band of Brothers. You go in a situation with a group, uh, we weren't under fire or anything, but you're in this intense group situation. Mm-hmm. You're exploring your life, your vulnerabilities, and you're... And, and Sandy is screwing with you the whole time. I don't know if she'd call it that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure if she listens, we're going to have a whole discussion about that. Oh, she's laughing. She's laughing. But but you're posting your challenge, and you come out of that, and that group, when you, when you finish that, you have that experience. And I really can't describe what it is other than you really feel like the, the um, brother or sister on your left and your right... Yeah. Got your back. Yeah. And and in my group, um, I'm still really close friends with um, most of my group. One or two folks have kind of mo- moved off. Um, but but we're always getting emails. When's the alumni event? The, the group we just finished. When's the next event? And what I think it is is people have come to realize after GPS the um, sacredness of a community in which you can be yourself and be loved for all that you are good, bad, and everything in between. Yeah. It really is. I think the community that Christ envisioned when he said absolute unconditional love of your neighbor. Yeah. I mean, GPS says, okay, Landon, so maybe this isn't your best thing, but, but it's cool. And we're going to walk with you and we're going to help you walk that walk. And we don't tell you how to do it. If you want to go off in left field, we'll go to left field with you. And if you fall down, we'll support you and we won't judge you. And I think that that kind of thing in the church where you always feel like someone's critiquing you or judging you or questioning you is such a wonderful gift. It, it, what you're talking about reminds me of what you and I say we want to, to, to have people understand the synod as being. Remember that first podcast. If you want to put a toilet in your kitchen, we're going to tell you it's a bad idea. But if that's where you really want it, we're going to help you figure that out and so that it's the best toilet in, the, in a kitchen as possible. Did I tell you that uh, I was at a presbytery meeting and somebody had listened to that first podcast and they shared that a member of their family actually does have a toilet in a kitchen? How awesome is that? That is awesome. That is so awesome. But it, it's a bit, I, I see it as, I mean, what you're talking about is not only are you learning how to be a pastor to people who don't want to be pastors, but you're also learning how to be a good colleague in ministry, right? And that's one of our other vows. Right, again. Do you vow to be a friend to your colleagues in ministry? So, hey, you want to go out in left field? 
I'm not sure it's a great idea, but I've vowed to be your colleagues. So I'm going to help. I'm, I'm going to help you. If you think this is where God's calling you, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to judge you if it goes wrong. I'm going to try to help make this the best. I mean, that's covenant, right? That's covenant. Right. This group is very intentional that it is not a fix you or tell you how to do it. That's so great. It is a place for you to come share your narrative, hear others share their narrative, find places to support, maybe even challenge. But it is not, well, Landon, if you just did A, B, C, and D at your church, it would be like mine. Yeah. We're very intentional about each context, each person is valued. Yeah. And I know it seems so trite and so simple to think, oh, well, shouldn't that be the whole church universal? But I know a lot of you pastor types and certainly personnel committee members listening know that that's not exactly how it works yeah, out there. No, no. Um, it is a rough go, especially when you're getting started and you might know two people in the whole congregation mm-hmm. that you're serving um, or just the PNC if you were like me when you moved to a right. new town. And this community, and they're not just, quote, professionals. These are your colleagues. Yeah. These are people who are in the same boat as you. Um, and it's nice to hear that, you know, first Presbyterian church over here in this town and third pres over here in this town and, you know, downtown church up in this town might be totally different sizes and structures and theological spectrums, but the stories of difficult people or awkward ministry situations happen everywhere. Yeah. It's the reason these things are cliches. Right, right. The, the the pledge check waving parishioner is a cliche for a reason because it happens, and it doesn't matter what church context you're going to be in. There's always somebody who's going to threaten to withhold their pledge because you did something. How does how does this notion of creating a, a creative covenant community pair with the with the fourth point that Lily lays out, the development of independence and accountability? What's the interplay between community? Uh, and, and independence and accountability. Well, uh, the other part of the community is is the first thing you do when you come to your second and third and fourth and fifth GPS is you spend a check-in time. Mm-hmm. So when you leave, you kind of say, for instance, in my personal journey, the first session with Marjorie, we talked about spiritual development. My big thing was I was very bad at Sabbath. I was very bad at pr- – I was the guy, as you can – Everybody's bad at Sabbath. Oh, right. And so mm-hmm. I, so we made – each one in the group shared sort of I covenant. My covenant to the group was I covenant to take my Friday Sabbath – I don't care unless there's an absolute emergency. I even learned to turn off my phone for the first couple of hours. Right. That was hard for me. Yeah. Um, the next group session, we went around, how are you doing with that? There was an accountability, not a judgment, but just, hey, James, you said last time you were going to yeah. do A, B, and C. How are you doing with it? And it was a really kind of uplifting to share that and also to have my group say, now, you didn't really do a great job in that. What happened? And to be able to say, I, I got back in old habits. So there was that accountability and independence that they didn't stand over my shoulder every week, you know, kind of micromanage me. But I knew when I walked in that room, by the third time, I really wanted to make sure I held that covenant. Yeah. I wanted to, to hold fast to that for that group because I valued that that group and I expected my group members to take that seriously. Well, and it and it has carried over. I mean, you know, just because you and I are both friends and colleagues and I and I and I know you and your life and your work. You know, that, that was one of the pieces that you and I talked early on. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, you said, Landon, I'm used to being off on Fridays. How can you help me maintain some notion of Sabbath? I mean, those, that was the question that you asked. So, so even, what is it now, three years mm-hmm. later, um, that experience that you had with that group has, has, you know, weaseled its way into your soul. And that is still something that you are conscientious of in making sure uh, making sure that you're taking Sabbath. The fifth thing that we've got here is um, that, that Lily lays out as, as keys for a sustainable ministry, um, support from experienced practitioners. Um, th- this reminds me of a, of a quote that, it's one of my favorite, well, it's not a quote, it's a, it's a passage from uh, Craig Dykstra's book. Um, I think growing in the life of faith is what it's called. 
I'll have to look that up. I used to have it underlined when I would when I was in seminary. Uh, I would always quote page ninety five. I mean, that was like my quote. My friends loved it because this was my favorite my favorite notion that Dexter. You know, if you want, and he uses this image of of, of being a baseball pitcher. If you want to be a pitcher. The thing that you need to do is be in practice with an experienced pitcher. Somebody who has been a pitcher for longer than you have, who can watch you do it, who can counsel you, who can work with you so that your fastball gets as good as his or her fastball, right? You want to be able to do that. Um, Dexter is convinced that, that it's the same with spiritual practices. It's the same with growing in the life of faith. The only way that we get better, you know, I, I think... I, I, don't, I don't know that he would say it this way. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't, but I'll say it this way. It's crap to think you can do this on your own, right? I am not going to be able to be an effective disciple of Jesus Christ on my own. How arrogant do I think I am for me to say, well, let me figure it out on my own? Are you kidding me? I mean, there, there's something to be said for failure. You know, if that's what we mean, I buy that. But, but I, I, and I'm thinking back to my youth. I was I was way too arrogant to think, oh, well, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I can learn this on my own. And what Dykstra is saying, and what I think all wise practitioners of the faith know is, yeah, that's bull. That's, that's total and complete crap, right? If I want to be good at prayer, I need to be with somebody who has demonstrated a proficiency at prayer. I love being around Loretta Ross. That woman knows prayer. And I think if you if you look closely... Loretta also has someone in her life that she believes is more proficient at prayer than she is. I mean, it's, it, it goes on and on and on. So this, this notion of supported, being supported by experienced practitioners. So we've got Loretta, we've got Sandy. And, and the thing I also want to restress there is, is, is these experts that we have in, in our GPS program um, don't come in and say, I'm an expert prayer. You should pray like me. Yeah, quote unquote experts. No, what I love in the sense is is what the, what they say is here's how I've mastered that. Uh, Pass on the wisdom, and then you take that. Like with Loretta, when I spend time with her, she doesn't tell me how to do it. She helps me mumble through my stuff to find my voice, my way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I might take my voice down the road. So w- one of the unique things is this isn't a, a you go to a lecture and have the smart guy or gal tell you what to do. Right. This is sit in the room and sort of the old sort of uh, a good metaphor. In the old days, you did apprenticeship. You watched the potter make a pot. Yeah. You made a pot and the potter sat with you. And you did that for a while until you got good at making a pot. Or even today, we have certain professions where you you are mentored by an expert. You may become more proficient or better in a different way down the the road. The student has become the master. Right. We laugh about that, but I think that's a lost art. We we, and I know when I got a seminary, they expected you to go from being you know graduate to uh, seminary level professor in the first year. Yeah. And and we didn't. We I guess in my own world, I know a lot of pastors. And folks feel like being mentor shows some vulnerability that I don't know, and that that's a weakness. Mm. And I think what these teachers are, are are the wise folks who say, "Look, man, I didn't learn how to be an awesome pitcher by walking out there and just getting it. I had to do this." Yeah. And then you begin to develop that. I learn, but I'm independent. And and I think that's what Lily's saying is that sustainableness is I don't go out and reproduce Landon's ministry. I take the best of Landon's ministry. I digest it for for James, and I come up with something that I can do and be fed and sustained from. And it may be very different than you, but you were the, you know, that old phrase, standing on the shoulders of giants. Well, these are the giants upon whose shoulders we will stand, Mm -hmm. and and then folks will kind of keep building. Yeah. It goes back to that Reformed tradition. We believe in a tradition that continues to, to grow and feed us. So I just want to point out for GPS, that's a very different thing than this is where you come and the expert tells you how to fix your totally. ministry. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's much more of a part. It really is a guest teacher, guest partner or conversation partner might be a better term for yeah. what we're really doing in the program. So well, I, thought, I, I like this idea of coach, you know, I mean, to, to go back to this baseball metaphor and, and certainly not everybody listening is a, is a baseball fan, but you know, it's that, you know, if you're looking at a pitcher, have you thought about holding the ball a different way? You know, try hold it this way. I mean, a lot of pitching is the way you hold the ball, the way you move your arm. Have you thought, you know, let's try moving your arm this way. See how that works. You know, certain pitchers develop certain sets of pitches because that's what works for them. But they've had to go through, they've had to go through a whole notion of it. Um, man, I'm really excited uh, for this new cohort. I'm really excited for them. Uh, and so I, I guess I would just ask everybody listening to uh, to pray for these folks. How many do we have? We have six new folks joining us on Monday. And we've got what? Six or seven more kind of in the hopper? Uh, at least. Man. And if you're listening and you're even remotely interested, well, this is a good place to plug. Check out our webpage. Yeah, because there were some folks who wanted to be a part of this cohort but just couldn't make the first meeting. We may have to have another cohort really soon. We'll see. Man, that would be awesome. That's a good problem to have, don't you think? Well, um, yeah, I guess it gives us a chance. <laughs> what? <laughs> How could you even hesitate? <laughs> You're thinking that's more logistics. Yay. <laughs> but that's what we do. Amen, brother? <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me that. Uh, I, actually, I think it's, it's a great opportunity for us to practice what we preach and being risk-taking and innovative. All right. Well, for another week of the SomaCast, this is uh, Landon and this is James. Say goodbye, James. Goodbye, James. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For more information about the mission and ministry of the Synod of Mid-America, you can find us on the internet at synodma.org. That's S-Y-N-O-D-M-A dot org. If you have any questions and comments, please send us an email at office at synodma.org, or you can give us a call at 913-608-7662.